I'm pretty sure that if that video was an hour long, I, I would not have lost interest even, even a little bit. If you, if you haven't noticed, that, that's just kind of human nature. It, it's so easy to become so exclusively focused on the present day or the week or the month ahead, and, and we just forget about all the ways that, that God has so clearly shown off in the past, all, all these ways that, that God has shown us favor uh, a day ago, a week ago, a month ago. But before Grumlaw even had a name, uh, when it was really just kind of this, this dream, uh, this, this idea, this nugget that God had planted in my head, uh, one of my coaches, a very close friend of mine, he, he gave me a very, very simple challenge. He said, Shay, write it down. Shay, write it down. He, he, he sort of went on to tell me that, that starting a church is one of the hardest things that a person can do. And, and yes, there are definitely going to be these days that are good, that are God-filled, that are exciting, where you walk away going, oh my goodness, can you believe what God did today? But there are also going to be a lot of days where, where it seems like all has been lost. We're going to wonder, like, why, why is everything heading in the complete opposite direction from what I had anticipated? And he said, if you didn't take the time to write that stuff down when, when God has shown off, when he's been showing you favor, well, he knew what we all actually know. We forget. We, we become prisoners of, of the moment. And we cry out to God going, God, God, why have you abandoned me? How, how come you're not paying attention to me? And, and meanwhile, I have to imagine that God's chilling up in heaven thinking to himself, like, are, are you joking are you seriously that quick to forget what happened yesterday, last month, last year? And so for me, I have this journal, and this journal actually goes with me pretty much wherever I go. And in that journal, I've written down a lot, certainly not all. Admittedly, I've, I haven't been perfect. I've forgotten at times. But a lot of those times where God has shown off over these last four years or so, perhaps it's recency bias, but one of those moments that really stands out to me of late was this, this past February. You know, the good old days when life was kind of normal and we could enter into stores without masks on. No, but seriously, February night, it stands out because on that day, uh, we celebrated our second birthday as a church. And 18 different people were baptized on that day. Seriously, how incredible is that? 18 different people went public with their faith in one day. That, that, that's 18 different stories of life change. It's, it's why we actually started this church, for stories like those, where, where we would see that the transformational power of Jesus go, for our, go before us and completely flip upside down lives. It, it was definitely one of those write it down type of days. And, and I'm confident that in a pretty similar way, uh, today is actually going to be one of those days. It's going to be one of those days where we write it down. Certainly a very significant day in the history of this church and the history of Grumlaw Church. Since mid-August, uh, we had been in a series titled Campfire Stories, where, where we've been taking a look at some of the stories that Jesus told actually during his time on earth. It turns out, as we've been seeing, that Jesus was actually a master storyteller. He, he was so brilliant, understanding that every single person on this planet, we, we learn best when there's this thoughtful illustration or a story that's attached to a lesson rather than just information dumping on a person. And, and if you'll allow me to, for just one more week, I'd like to look at another story that Jesus told. Now, just in case you haven't been paying attention, these stories that Jesus told are kind of traditionally referred to as parables. A parable is actually a simple made-up story told to make a clear, honest point. 
Jesus would literally make these stories up. They were completely fabricated. But the point that he was making was very, very real. And and it typically would expose a truth that was hard for the audience to accept. Not not only hard for that audience to accept 2,000 years ago, but right on now to present day for you and for I to accept. And and the story that we're going to be examining today is one that we traditionally refer to as the story of the talents. Uh, This particular story is recorded for us in the book of Matthew. For those of you who aren't super familiar with this book that we call the Bible, uh, Matthew is actually the first book of the New Testament, which is kind of the second half of the book. It's one of the four biographical accounts of the life of Jesus. The writer of Matthew is a guy, you guessed it, who went by the name of Matthew, and he was actually one of the 12 disciples. One of these guys who spent virtually every waking moment with Jesus during his time on earth, during his earthly ministry, which lasted only about three years. Now, rather than breaking down this story verse by verse, as I usually would, uh, I'm actually gonna read this story today in its entirety. And I'm gonna be reading it from a translation that I don't typically use called The Message. Uh, Now, all you Bible scholars out there, you're probably not a huge fan of The Message. It's more of a a summary, uh, really, than a translation. Uh, But as I was studying and I was preparing this talk, I so appreciated what vivid imagery this translation kind of brought into my head. Uh, By the way, as a bit of a side note, uh, if you've ever thought to yourself that you're just having a really hard time reading the Bible, keeping your attention, understanding what what it's saying in there, uh, this translation, the message, uh, the message Bible, uh, this is what I uh, started reading early on in college, and it really kind of reinvigorated my my love for scripture and getting there every single day. And so if you're one of those people, you're just like, man, I just have a hard time reading the Bible, uh, it might be really, really great for you to pick up a copy of the message. But here we jump into Matthew chapter 25, again, for the story of the talents as told in the message. It says, God's kingdom is also like a man going off on an extended trip. He called his servants together and delegated responsibilities. To one, he gave $5,000, to another 2,000, to a third 1,000, depending on their abilities. He, he, he gave money out according to their talents, according to their abilities, but they all got something. Then he left. It says, right off, the first servant went to work and he doubled his master's investment. The second did the same. But the man with the single thousand dug a hole and carefully buried his master's money. After a long absence, the master of those three servants came back and settled up with them. The one given $5,000 showed him how he had doubled his investment. His master commended him, good work. You did your job well. From now on, be my partner, not just servant, but partner. The servant with the 2,000 showed how he also had doubled his master's investment. His master commended him as well. Good work. You did your job well. There's our word again. From now on, be my partner. The servant given 1,000 said, Master, I know you have high standards and you hate careless ways, that you demand the best and you make no allowances for error. I was afraid. I was afraid I might disappoint you. So I found a good hiding place and I secured your money. Here it is safe and sound, down to the last cent. The master was furious. So that's a terrible, a terrible way to live. It's criminal, criminal to live cautiously like that. If you knew I was after the best, why did you do less than the least? The least you could have done would have been to invest the sum with the bankers where at least I would have gotten a little interest. Take the thousand and give it to the one who risked the most and get rid of this play it safe who won't go out on a limb. Throw him out into utter darkness. 
There's so many lessons that we can take away from this relatively short story, but in the interest of time, I've got a whopping about seven minutes here left at my disposal. Uh, we're just going to focus on, on a couple. The, the first thing that I felt like God was pointing me towards is this, is, is God is not a conservative, play-it-safe kind of God. The God that we come together to talk about here on Sunday mornings, the God that we know who is worthy of your worship, that the God whom we are imploring all of you to give your life to is not a sit idly by, influenced by fear kind of God. And, and when you think about it, frankly, why would he be? I mean, after all, he's the creator of all things. He, he has the very hairs on your head numbered. He is sovereign. He's all-knowing. He's all-powerful. He was and he is and he is yet to come. This is going to sound like a, a bit of a random question, but any of you watching right now, you, you fan of, of the movie Taken? Just let us know in the chat there, you know, Taken, starring Liam Neeson. I, I love the movie Taken. I don't actually even think this is unique to males. I've you know, heard from a number of women, too, that they like the movie Taken because it you know, shows a father who's coming in to rescue his, his little girl. But for those of you who aren't super familiar, the premise is, is pretty simple. Uh, Liam Neeson, uh, he plays the character of Brian Mills, and Brian Mills is a former CIA operative, and against his best wishes, his daughter Kim decides to go with a friend over to Europe, and the worst happens, all of his fears come true, uh, that his daughter is, as the title would suggest, taken, uh, and almost presumed to be taken into a life of, of human trafficking, and specifically sex trafficking, but Little do her captors realize that this guy has a set of very specific skills, skills that make him a nightmare for the people who abducted his daughter. And the rest of the movie basically shows Liam Neeson running around and doing everything he can to track down his daughter in Europe. And there's this one particular scene where he lands on the other side of the ocean and he gets to this house where he's pretty confident that the human traffickers are hanging out. And for the first time, he comes face to face with his daughter's captors. And he utters the now infamous line that many of you are probably familiar with, I told you, I would find you. And as you're watching, I mean, if you're anything like me, you're sitting on the edge of your couch and you're going, oh, snap, it's about to go down. And good old Liam Neeson, I mean, he goes hard. He proceeds to take out an entire house of thugs. I mean, it's just like ice is running through his veins, not a fear in his body. I mean, takes out all these guys just like, boom, like that. He's not scared. He's on a mission. He has skills. He knows he can take care of this. He is coming to rescue his little girl. He, he's not deterred by circumstances that might seem stacked against him. He's not deterred by circumstances that seem stacked against his people. Th th this is the God who with a simple word from his mouth, millions upon billions of galaxies were born. Th this is the God who knit you together in your mother's womb. This is the God who sent his son as the solution to our sin problem. Who was then killed on a cross, then laid dead in a grave for three days. But then proceeded to conquer death, rise from said grave, and in turn give every single one of us a chance to be made right with him. Something that any of us, none of us, would have ever been able to accomplish on our own accord. He's not swayed by fear. He isn't scared. He's never been caught off guard. He refuses to play it safe. 
And guess what? If, if you call yourself a follower of Jesus, that God, he lives in you. And as such, followers of Jesus aren't called to conservative, play it safe kind of lives. In fact, as you can clearly see in this story, and in fact, it's, it's all throughout the gospel accounts, Jesus himself regularly reminds us to abandon ourselves, to take risks, to step out in faith. Why? Certainly not because of our own talents or abilities, not because of my talents, my abilities, but because of who, who goes before us, because of who lives in us. As Jesus points out in this story, and as every single one of us know, we're not given the same talents. We're not all given the same opportunities, the same gifts, but make no mistake, every single one of you who are watching right now, you are given talents, you are given opportunities. No, they might not look exactly like the person to your left or the person to your right, but what we do with those talents, with those opportunities, is our choice. See, I'm convinced that most people... And what's worse, most people proclaiming to be Christians are much more like the third guy, the third servant, who we take the opportunities, we take the talents, and we bury them in a hole. We squander them. We play it safe. Rather than stepping out in faith and truly trusting God, even though we don't have all the answers, even though it might feel risky, we very quickly lose sight of who, who goes before us. And as a result, when you hear stories of God coming through in unexplainable ways, you hear from the lips of others how God is showing off in their life, what do you think? Seriously, it's it's not a trick question. You think, how come God never shows up like that for me? How come, how come I don't have those kind of stories? How come God never shows up like that in, in my life? And robbing from this story from the very lips of Jesus, uh, allow me to propose that it's really not all that complicated. Perhaps it's as simple as the fact that you keep burying the opportunities. You keep burying the talents rather than stepping out in faith and putting yourself in a situation where if God does not come through, you're going to be in trouble. So as I wrap this thing up, here's the question that I want to pose to every single one of you who are watching right now. Where is God asking you to take a risk? Where's God asking you? Not the people around you. Where's God asking you to take a risk? Where are you playing it safe? What what opportunity is sitting in front of you right now and you're refusing to walk through the door because you don't have all the answers? And you need to remind yourself of who goes before you. Of better yet, of who lives inside of you. And and I don't want to just breeze past the last part of this story. Notice what Jesus says here. That there are very real consequences for those of us who continually play it safe. 
For those of us who, who refuse to step out in faith. For those of you who continue to bury opportunities that God drops in our laps because we are scared or self-centered. But for those of you who seize those opportunities, even, even though you don't have all the answers, for those of us who, who make moves in faith, trusting in who goes before you, again, I love the wording that the writer uses here. His master commended him, good work, you did your job well. From now on, be my, say that word with me, partner. From now on, be my partner. God won't simply view you as a follower, but a partner. And as you're faithful with a little, he'll continue to give you more. And a year, two years, 10 years down the road, you'll see God using you for immeasurably more than you ever thought possible. And it'll all be cut B because you gave him a yes. All because you stepped out in obedience and you seized the talent, you seized the opportunity that God had dropped in your lap. And what a privilege it is that God, the God of the universe, our creator, would count us worthy, not just to be servants, not just to be followers, but partners in his redemptive plan for the world. Come on, think about this for you. Where is God asking you to take a risk?